Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm incredibly excited to have as our guest today, Dave Haytag. He is the owner of Edgerton Gear Incorporated in Wisconsin. He's also an author of a book that I found particularly meaningful for me. It's called Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Community, and the World. Dave, thanks so much for your time and willingness to join us today. Steve, my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to be with you and just, just get to know you and, and share stories. Dave, for people who haven't had an opportunity to read the book just yet, give us a thumbnail sketch of kind of the arc of your of your story, how you got started in manufacturing, how you took a, a detour or maybe an attempted escape from manufacturing, and how, how God brought you back full circle. Yeah, long story short, I grew up in the family business. My folks started the business in 1962. I was one of these kids that started working the shop at age five. I was not very good in school, but I was good at hands-on stuff, took all the shop classes that I could. I was not deemed college material <laughs> by most teachers. And, and really, uh, college education wasn't even on my radar. My dad said when I was 18, uh, okay, you graduate high school, you're going to work in the shop. Get your journeyman card because you'll, you'll at least you always have that in your back pocket. God got a hold of me at 19. Uh, we have a lot of alcoholism on both sides of our family. I was headed down the same path. And when you have kind of a pretty major conversion experience, everybody thinks, oh, you're, you're going to serve. You're going to be a pastor, missionary, or something along those lines. And, and I, I actually went down that road. Uh, moved to California with Athletes in Action. Ended up going to university, got a degree in social science. Not sure what that is, but you know, it's it's it served me well. And and I worked in the church for a while. And then people said, "Yeah, you need to be a pastor." So I ended up going to Regent College up in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, to get a theological degree. And a year into that, just felt the Lord called us back to the family business where my dad was having some health issues. And it was during that time God really gave me a vision for the marketplace. And that the marketplace needs pastors too. As Christians, we need to be out there in the world, not just sequestered away on Sunday mornings. And I've had phenomenal mentors who have really shaped my theology and given me a heart for kids and for blue collar folks. And I thought we'd come back to the family business for maybe two years, five years at the most. And this is year 31. Wow. <laughs> so be careful. Be careful when you swear you'll never do something because um, God has a sense of humor and one of my mentors say God has a, a way of returning us to the scene of the crime, where when we look back through scripture, whether it's Moses or Joseph or even the Apostle Paul, I think God brings us back to those places where, you know, maybe we were hurt, wounded, um, back to our roots where maybe, you know, we have a lot of credibility in ways that we didn't, didn't understand. And I think it's, for me, it was the whole of my faith. I've seen God do some amazing things, you know, when I was in LA and Mexico and Honduras and different places. But the one whole was what could God do with blue collar people? Is mm -hmm. Jesus and the gospel relevant to just everyday shop guys and gals on job sites and shop floors? And, and what does the gospel look like in that context? So I've been trying to figure that out for the last 31 years. Dave, I'm so so glad to hear that you are doing that because, in fact, 
I, I was kind of a child of the of the mega church movement. I was a church planter that was kind of like schooled in that whole philosophy. Yeah. And whether or not that was good or bad or in between is a conversation for another day. But a lot of those yeah. models about growing a church, especially in the in the suburban vein, was hey, look for upwardly mobile white collar people who can contribute yeah. and serve and uh, can donate at a way that can kind of fund the machine. And blue yeah. collar workers and and laborers were just never really a part of that equation. And again, I, I don't know that that was nefarious or malicious, but that was just what it was. In your experience, mm -hmm. why why are good chunks of local churches overlooking a really valued population and subset of God's kingdom? You know, I, I, I've thought a lot about that over the years because I know pastors, for the most part, are great-hearted people. They, they go in it for the right reasons. They, they just want to serve and help folks. But but there's this spiritual hierarchy, I think, that's that's infiltrated the church just like it is in the world. We, we tend to look at some jobs more important than others. Uh, and in the church, we tend to put pastors, missionaries, at least Sunday school teachers. I mean, something, right? You got to have this this sense that if you're going to be really spiritual, um, that's what you should attain to. And, and, and I also think it goes back to, you know, even Greek thought that that work itself is not valued. In fact, a lot of the Greeks that, that we get our, a lot of Western philosophy from is that you shouldn't work. Work is bad. But in reality, God is a worker. Um, Jesus said, my father is always at work. Jesus's whole pretty much life was in a blue collar family business. And throughout scripture, we just see a lot of working folks. And, and, and for some reason, we've overlooked that. And, and we, we fail to recognize that, you know, in the blue collar world and folks that are, are just living day to day, that's who the gospel comes through. That's the kingdom that we are infiltrated to every part of society. And we need to recognize and value those folks in those positions and, and get rid of this, this sacred secular divide that we often talk about, that some jobs are sacred, some jobs are secular. And from my, my, from my perspective, almost all jobs are sacred. It's how we bring our faith and, and perspective into what we do. So Dave, tell the uninitiated a little bit more about like what your company actually does and where, where you are seeing the, the holy in the everyday grind, no pun intended, of, of what your company is able to pull off. So we are a custom gear manufacturer. And growing up, I thought, oh, it's just gears. We're making gears for all sorts of equipment. Well, the, the little secret is our modern civilization would not exist without gears. And there's anything that, that we wear, that we have in our house, that we drive, I mean, from, from aluminum cans to jars to everything um, is made with gears. I mean, it's incredible. It's like the ghost in the machine that's behind everything. So I can walk down any grocery store or aisle literally in the world, and I can point at products that were made with the assistance of our gears. Um, our biggest customer makes car machines that make cardboard boxes. Uh, so, and, and printing, I mean, it just goes on and on. So I've come to the perspective that, you know, if the Lord created this earth and, you know, he said it is good and we are called the creation band-aid to help it survive and thrive, um, all kinds of jobs and technology is needed. And so you, you see the, pro the, the progression of civilization, gears play a really huge part of that. So our little 40-man shop, you know, we're making gears for, for literally everything all over the world. And, and in churches, I often tell pastors, your Bible would not exist. You know, your written Bible would not exist without, without gears, your pews and everything else you're seeing in your churches. And so I I've come to, to recognize my form of worship is doing the best that I can do as a gear maker. 
um, just like I'm sure Jesus did. As And we often talk, Jesus, about being a carpenter, but in reality, he was probably a stonemason. Um, and there's a whole little, uh, you know, kind of interesting story about that. But I got to believe Jesus was pretty serious about his craft. And when you read a lot of the parables, you see this commitment to excellence and this frustration, I think, with the working place. And, and he spoke to people like us that said, yeah, whatever you do, you do it with quality and excellence and as, as a, literally as worship. And so I get up and go to work every morning. I see what our guys are doing on the shop floor. And, and we're seeing these works of art that are gears. That is my service back to God on the gifts and talents that he's given us, uh, you know, to, to fulfill our purpose for us in this world. Dave, I just finished uh, re-listening to the audiobook of Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor, which is a book about faith and work. And, and he said that sometimes there's a mentality that the owners sometimes struggle and say like, hey, I don't, I have a hard time connecting how I use the company that I have been stewarded to oversee for kingdom work. And sometimes the, the, the low bar or the easy answer is like, well, we'll just be as profitable as we can. We'll try to give a good chunk of money away. We'll create good jobs for people. We'll treat yeah. them with dignity. We'll pay them a fair wage. We may or may not have some biblically based verbiage in our values that are on the on the poster or in the lobby. But but you've chosen to see a little bit more broadly than that. Talk about how God has expanded your your kind of vision for holistic discipleship or leadership development, if I can call it that, at, yep. at your company. Yep. So one of my good friends who's a who's a professor with Baki Graduate University, a Nigerian uh, professor, business guy, uh, pastor, he he what he said something to me that just really kind of blew me out of the water one day. And he said, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus and the disciples, it's clear that salvation was not a prerequisite for discipleship. Hmm. And that's a pretty powerful statement. I went, hold up, what are you talking about? Because it's Dave, it's what you do every day. You treat every person that comes into that shop as a disciple. And it's not beating them head over the beating them over the head with a Bible. It's having shared values. It's giving them a sense of purpose, dignity, teaching them about character, and that you know who God created you to be really, really matters. And as as in any society, for it to function, you have to have people that all share the same values, right? And and there has to be a, a level of humility and and being teachable and being a, a team player and and all these different values. So in our company, not only do we have apprenticeship. I mean, that's our model of education. And, and we, we call our, I, I strive to companies like you're talking about, you need to develop to be, develop into a mentoring culture and understand that first of all, you're in the people business, second in whatever business of products I, that you're supplying. So for us, it's, it's really taking every individual, especially young people and recognizing their gifts, their talents, their uniqueness, and, and really shepherding them, pastoring them, mentoring them. And and given that dignity and that sense of purpose that that they are part of something greater than just themselves, and I th and I think you know I often say that there's two things that every person on this planet needs, no matter what culture, no matter what age, besides your basic necessities of food, shelter, and, and clothing, and that's purpose and healthy relationships, community, and and purpose. And and so I really look at our our business. You know, I look at myself kind of as a pastor. And how do I shepherd the people that God's put under under my care and draw out their excellence, draw out that God spark in them to help them thrive and be successful? Dave, you said that you before we uh, hit record, you were talking about a fun, a, a really exciting initiative where you're having an opportunity to train young people for blue collar careers and do it from a holistic mindset. Talk about the genesis behind that initiative and where you see God taking it these days. 
So 11 years ago, um, as a as a manufacturing company, we were struggling with workforce development, like every company I think that's out there. And COVID just exacerbated that. We're all desperate for good workers, uh, and especially in, in the trade. So out of desperation and kind of God's leading, I, I, I went back to school to figure out, you know, what do we do? And I got called up to our, our local tech, our high school one day, our tech ed department, and, and, the, and the teacher said, hey, can we resurrect this tech ed department? Because back in the 1990s, uh, some, and I say it facetiously, some brilliant professors said tech ed of the future in high schools are going to be lab coats and computers. Uh, we don't need wood shop. We don't need auto mechanics. We don't need welding machining. And so across the country, high school started mothballing their tech ed departments. So we have lost an entire generation of young people that would be in the manufacturing, the trades and so on. And we're paying the price for it. And not only have we lost uh, that generation, we've lost a generation of teachers that can teach tech ed. So when I was in the high school looking over this department that had been, you know, really kind of sh shuttered and I, I see the equipment that I ran back in the 70s and 80s uh, shoved over in a corner you know, I went, oh my gosh, you know, and I'm, then I'm looking at the kids. I'm going, these kids were me, you know, back when I was in high school, lack of purpose, lack of direction. We don't fit in socially. Uh, we we struggle with, you know, what our future is going to be. Tech ed is often at the end of a long haul somewhere in the school, cut off from the rest of the school. And teachers look at us like, yeah, you're not college material. You're just going to end up somewhere. And the reality is about 65% of students in our country will not go or graduate from a four-year university. Where are they going? What's going on with them? You know, where are they going to end up? So out of that, I, I had this idea like, man, I got to get these kids in, involved and exposed to the world of manufacturing, the trades, you know, jobs that would, and careers that would be fantastic for them. So out of that, we came, we experimented with a course called Craftsman with Character, and we actually have a foundation now, craftsmanwithcharacter.org. Uh, your, your listeners can look it up. But really what it is, it's four days a week. We get, and it's a high school semester long course, four days a week, the kids get to job shadow um, in five or, five or six different businesses in our communities to see what professional folks do as, as mechanics, machinists, carpenters, et cetera. One day a week, we get them in a classroom and we explore their worldview. You know, what do they think truth is? What do they think is going to make them happy? What character qualities do they need to be successful? And the the transformation that we saw um, right out of the gate in, in that first semester just blew us away. And these kids that were D students were becoming A students overnight. Um, all of a sudden, they had a sense of purpose. They, you know, the parents and counselors were out of tools. They told us what to do with these kids. Um, and out of that, we started supplying our own company and other businesses in the community with phenomenal young people that everybody kind of overlooked and took for granted. Since then, it's grown other communities. And this last six months, like I was telling you before we started the call, the, the U.S. Navy, the Department of, of the U.S. Navy, this, the industrial submarine base got a hold of me and we talked for a bit. And they said, so what do you need to take this national? And I go, what are you talking about? We're just a little guy, little business in a small town. And they explained to me that out of all the military, our, our U.S. nuclear submarines are the only only competitive advantage that we have in all the military. Russia and China is on par with everything else. But the submarines are about 20 to 30 years ahead of everybody else. So the wow. U.S. Navy itself went out and said, we got to figure out why our, our submarines aren't showing up on time. They sent a team out, uh, you know, basically interviewing thousands of the suppliers, and they pretty much all said the same thing. We we are struggling with workforce development. We have an aging demographic. A lot of folks are in their 50s and 60s retiring out. And 
how do we get these kids involved to come in and replace them? So long story short, they gave us a three-year contract to take this national. I'm scrambling to, to hire staff, shooting training videos, engaging with school districts and businesses literally across the country, you know, to really hopefully transform a lot of young people and, and really, you know, really reach this next generation. And, and Steve, the thing that blows me away in the last six months are the number of Christian business folks that I've met who have absolutely a heart for their kids. And they recognize that their businesses um, are not just about making money. They're really being about the foundation in their, their communities and giving people jobs and caring for them. So I personally believe there's a wave of renewal coming around among blue collar folks because of business owners who recognize that uh, they are called to serve and mentor this next generation. Dave, that's, that's really exciting. Cause I think there are a lot of people who are you know, maybe understandably so l lamenting or concerned about the current state of the church. And again, that's another conversation we could have yep. on a different day, but there are some other institutions, whether it's, you know, mental health resources, like what we get to do at our company or it manufacturing to be able yeah. to say, Hey, they're, no matter what people think about their worldview, uh, they care about wellness. They care about being whole. They care about being healthy, yeah. and they they need a a way to provide a meaningful wage that gives them dignity yeah. and autonomy and provision. And for exactly. and I, I think that work is a is a great entry point. Uh, again, we got to be careful about the power dynamics that we're not making yeah. you know spiritual conversations a condition of employment. Um, but but it can be a great jumping off point to create an environment where yeah. people start asking big questions about life because. Most yeah. people are spending more time with people at their place of employment than they are with their own family sometimes. Yeah, and we're we're very careful. We don't proselytize. We don't demand that people have our faith, but we do demand shared values, you know, because mm -hmm. across all religions, across everything, you know, we ought to have those same values of humility, teamwork, you know, uh, attention to detail, excellence, and so on. And those are all biblical things. Those are all kingdom values. Yeah. And our Craftsman with Character course, and I, I got to share this with you, we we demand our students memorize the Craftsman Code. And and I'll tell you real quick, the first one, we they have to stand up, memorize it, say it with conviction. Number one, I'm not the center of the universe. You know, and, and as a dad, I love hearing kids say that, <laughs> you know. And then number two, I don't know near, I don't know everything or nearly as much as I think I do. Okay. And so again, you got to open up and realize your profession or your career is built on the shoulders of those who came before us. And yeah. three, there's dignity and purpose in knowing my trade. Uh, number four, the world needs me. You know, a lot of these kids have been taken for granted, beat down. They, they just have such low self-esteem. When they start understanding the world needs them, that they are uniquely created and here for a purpose, it, that's a game changer. You know, and number five, um, pays reward for my efforts, but not my main motivation. It's not all about money. And lastly, number six, every person has unique gifts and talents. So as a Christian, I'm sure you pick up, this is a biblical worldview that we can get into public schools in different places without the religious language. And, and we call our course a pre-apprenticeship course because we're hopefully we're giving the kids a hunger for truth. Am I here for a reason? A, a, is there something greater than me? What does life consist of? And, and we've had kids come through our program that discover faith because I think once you once you help them understand that truth is not subjective, you know, the gear, there is right or wrong, the gear fits or it doesn't, <laughs> you know, right. that, that kind of thinking. They, they kind of wake up like, wow, th this is a very different worldview. And, and that's when the magic happens. And, um, and and that's why I'm so fired up because the gospel, the good news is so relevant in the workplace. 
Dave, when you talk about mobilizing young people for careers in the trades, what what's giving you hope and optimism these days? Because I think that again, there there are people who sometimes they tend towards negativity. And when you talk about losing a generation, there can be the temptation for those of us who are in our forties, fifties, and sixties to kind of go into cranky old man mode and go like, "Oh, kids these days." But but you're you're. It sounds like you are more optimistic than you are pessimistic. Oh my gosh, I, absolutely. Um, you know, and and this is something I just read recently, and I, I'd love to do a sermon on it sometime, but if you look at the very last verse of the Old Testament in Malachi, it actually says, when the Spirit of the Lord comes, he's going to change, turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the children's hearts to their parents. And then it's mentioned again in, in Luke chapter one with Zechariah, when the, the, the prophecy about John the Baptist, and that's John's role, is to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Mm-hmm. And, and I see that. I see folks of us who are getting older, we're concerned about legacy. So the guy on the shop floor that's been running a machine for 30 years, he's just concerned about his legacy. What is he leaving behind? Did he leave the world a better place? Um, you know, as anybody else. And and I'm finding the kids that we're working with, they desperately want to be mentored. Over and over, I'm hearing kids say, I, I go through our course, I can't believe um, that somebody cares for me. Because we're we're hooking the kids up with the, the average guy on the shop floor or on the job site. So we're providing these older folks opportunities to mentor the younger ones and the younger ones want to be mentored. So when we're working with these young kids that everybody overlooks, takes for granted, and you see them blossom and just be transformed. um, That's where I have tremendous optimism because I'm seeing a a crop of leaders that are, are more hungry for quality relationships and a deeper purpose than I think any time in my life. I think all the all the garbage that's gone on with the pandemic and what's happening in our world and, and so on, it's created a hunger in these kids for truth and, and for depth. Um, and yeah, there's social media, they get angry and they get caught up in that. But when we as an older generation can take them under our wing and, and provide that encouragement, look them in the eye and, and see them and let them understand that we see you, we know you, we love you, we care for you. Um, they just absolutely blossom. And that's, and, and again, the power of the gospel, the power of love. Um, that can be manifested even on the shop floor. I love that you're saying that. I read uh, Henry Kissinger's book on leadership, and he's got a chapter in there where he says, these days, everybody wants to be an influencer and nobody wants to be a leader. And when I think about like my kids who are 19, 17, 14, and 12, it it can be easy in a social media world to get sucked into like kind of the influencer vortex, right? To be able to say like, yeah. Who doesn't want to be an influencer and work, you know, 20 hours a week and make, you know, $30 million. Like, but the truth is kids, kids who have a ton of followers on, on TikTok, their only job is to maintain clicks and interest. They don't have to, they don't have any, they don't have to exert any responsibility or accountability over people who are tracking them. And for you to be able to say young people, yeah, they, they might enjoy that for a minute, but after six months of that, they're they're really hungry for a real life human who's, who's a little bit further down the road than they are, who's maybe not their parent or a a school authority figure who cares about them and is invested in their thriving. Yeah. And and having that sense of purpose and help me figure out where do I fit? Do I, am I an accident? Is there any place in this world for me at all? And what, and as, and, and it's over 16 weeks that we do this course. So it's not like, it's not like two weeks later, the kids go, Oh, wow. I I matter. Um, I, this last semester that we had one young man, um, and I was warned he's kind of a troublemaker and he had, I think he had 60, 70, 70, some detentions last year, 38 detentions this year that he had to make up. 
and he and he was honest. I'm he runs away from home, didn't like his parents, problem with the local police department. They know they know him on a first name basis. And I think it was at week 13, he came to class that one day a week that we get him. And he said, you know what? I, I just realized I've been a bad person most of my life. <laughs> and he started talking about, you know, I need to be a better person. And it sucks being a bad person. There's bad consequences. And it's way better <laughs> being a good person. And he said, you guys didn't shove this down my throat because you introduced me to people that exemplify these character qualities that I need to be successful. You know, it's not just words. It's it's getting to rub shoulders with these folks, these, these old crusty guys that, that are, you know, just on the shop floor. And he said, it just, I just woke up and realized I need to be like them, you know, and, and it's, it goes way better to be a, a good person. Good and bad really matters. Um, and, and that just gets me really excited when you see this transformation with these young people that really start to get it, that they've been fed a lot of lies on social media, the influencers, it's all about being popular and on and on and on. But when you get down to it, it's purpose and relationships. Dave, there's a, a pretty significant manufacturing base here in West Michigan, the Grand Rapids yeah. Holland area. And I think there are a lot of people who are listening who might say, you know what, I just haven't haven't had that kind of lens that Dave has about taking the passion yeah. and the intentionality and the leverage. What do you say to people who are owners, uh, people who are managers, people who are team leads or line leads yeah. who yeah. who really do start to connect with what you're saying and say, Dave, what would it look like for me over the course of the next 30 days? Uh, if I don't yeah. have some kind of formal program to ascribe yeah. purpose, encouragement, dignity, and value to manufacturing employees in ways that I haven't done previously. Well, if you're talking to the owners, I think owners are in a place right now, they're struggling with workforce development, you know, probably more than any time in their business. So, so when I, when I talked to, to businesses, especially I said, you know, your survival is at stake that you understand and you learn how to be have a mentoring culture. You have to grab these young people and really care for them because just advertising a job in, on Indeed or everywhere else, I'm sure everybody's frustrated. It's expensive. And it's not. It's not yielding a lot of great results. But when you put in the investment into caring for people and figuring out how to do that from an owner all the you know down through the entire company, things change pretty dramatically. But if you don't have that power, you know you're you're a shipping clerk or you're just you're on the shop floor or whatever. In my book, I talk about relational transactions that every day when we get up, we are faced with hundreds, if not thousands, relational transactions every day from as simple as going, stopping at the convenience store and getting a cup of coffee or gas. You're meeting that clerk in there. You say good morning to him. Do you care for him? Do you look him in the eye and, and value them and, and give them the dignity of what they're doing, just being there and showing up to work? And when you're working with coworkers, everybody understands that. When you're in a bad mood, that that's contagious. When you're in a good mood, that's contagious. When you when people walk into a room, and let's say it's a manager or so or coworker who's in a really foul mood, they don't need to say anything. You just sense it, and it spreads. And in the same way as being in a good mood. So I think the when you go through Scripture, God's superpower is His goodness. Right? There is good and good and bad in the world. And when you emulate and strive to, to allow the spirit of God to work in you and through you to, to be just to emulate goodness to your coworkers, to everybody that you're involved with in the job you do, things start changing very quickly and changing very radically. And I think we often leave the power of God in this realm of, of something that's nebulous and out there. But the power of God is in us and through us to touch lives around us and how we do our jobs with the dignity and excellence that people really start to notice. You don't have to beat them over the head of the Bible to start living the life of goodness that God's put in us. Um, and it's pretty powerful and exciting. 
Dave, that's amazing. Hey, for people who are curious about the program and want to hear more about how they can invest it or how they might want to bring it to their community, where can they go for more information? So start with going to craftsmanwithcharacter.org. Uh, the homepage has two great videos that one explains the course and two, it, 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 there's a little video that shares the story of what we did in Beloit, Wisconsin, a ethnically mixed, struggling uh, urban area. Uh, powerful, powerful story. But if you go craftsmanwithcharacter.org uh, and if you're interested more, you know, email us. There's an info email on there. Uh, the Navy is really serious about us expanding. And, and Steve, actually, one of the next hot spots that we're looking at is Michigan, because as we're in Wisconsin right now, they want us to keep spreading by concentric circles. And I already have a few contacts. I'm going to add you to the list of folks that uh, we'll probably be talking to in the next six months to a year, because there's a lot of Navy suppliers, manufacturers in the Grand Rapids, Detroit, all that that whole corridor. Um but yeah, we're, we're going to be looking for businesses and school districts that we can support and help and, you know, help with your youth apprenticeship, your internship and help the schools take these at-risk kids and, and, and connect them with business folks. Uh, so yeah, please reach out to us and, and we're putting a staff together to, to take this national and, and, and see, see this spread. I'm, I'm excited with you and for you, and I can't wait to see where it all goes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to have you as a part of the conversation. Well, hopefully I didn't talk too much because when you get me going and you wind me up, I'm pretty excited about this stuff. So thanks for having me. No, it sounds great. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.